Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is College and Kimball. Welcome to the intersection of positivity, optimism, and let's go ahead and say it, nine and flipping three. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, joined as always by Alex Beth, Justin Nutter, and Clint Wilson. Guys, excited. We finally get to come on the show and talk about a Big 12 victory. Before we dive into K-State's 25-24 win in Lubbock this past Saturday, let's go ahead and ask our listeners to do podcast things for us. Subscribe on whatever your preferred app is. Give us a rating and review. We certainly appreciate any feedback that we can get on the show. And if you haven't had a chance to follow us on Twitter, it's college underscore Kimball. All right. The skid of Big 12 losses finally comes to an end at 8. <laughs> K-State picks up a much-needed victory. And in a weird way, this might have saved Chris Kleiman's job. And it's so weird to frame it that way. You know, we're only halfway through his third year. And obviously some very unique circumstances last season in 2020. But... A lot of people were starting to chirp, obviously, on social media that, you know, again, is obviously more of an indication of the vocal minority, or at least what a lot of people believe to be the vocal minority. But you started seeing comparisons to to Ron Prince through however many conference games, and, and admittedly, it was not looking very favorable for Chris Kleiman. And, and two, when you think about it in terms of the Big 12 that Ron had to compete in in those mid-2000s when the conference was arguably its strongest and comparing it to where it is now. Again, Chris Kleiman's numbers weren't obviously stacking up to be all that positive, but at the end of the day, his guys rally. They come from behind a two-touchdown deficit. They manage to pick up a a huge, much-needed win, and I, I really don't think you can overstate the magnitude of this. This was this was huge. This program needed to get this one this past Saturday. Yeah, I think I texted you guys after the game. Um, you know, the climbing area era is still to be seen how it turns out. But I felt like losing this game might, you know, the rest of this year just seems like it's going downhill. And that's a lot of momentum to try to get uh, things turned around for next year. So probably hyperbolic of me to say but uh i felt like losing that game might have been the nail in the coffin for the climbing era i just you know obviously he was going to get more than just this season to turn it around but it just seemed like um a real tough battle to you know finish this year on a good note and start next year on a on a decent note it felt like it was going to be real tough yeah, if we lose this game, especially in blowout fashion, look, which is what it looked like it was heading for, then I don't think any fan has any confidence in any game for the rest of the season outside of maybe KU. Um, and then going into the next year, I mean, there's there'd be hardly any support for the team. So this this is a huge win, really. I definitely uh, had to text more than a few people when the game ended and eat some of my words from the first five minutes of the first quarter. Um yeah, I mean, for a team that's, you know, not built to come from behind, I mean, they did it when they absolutely needed to do it the most. So, you know, I said going in and said basically all week leading up that the season probably hinges on this game, and they found a way to get it done. Um, I do think it's kind of poetic that the conference losing streak turned 364 days old the day we won in Lubbock. So it was 
one day away from being a year old conference losing streak. So happy we didn't get there. A dubious distinction that Chris Kleiman does not have to worry about owning any longer. And to tie it back to a pretty big talking point that was brought up earlier in the week when Kleiman had implored, depending on your interpretation, media, fans, whoever it may be, he had, he had asked for positivity. And I don't know how you guys felt about that. And Clint, uh, we didn't get your ch- uh, chance to hear your thoughts, but I felt like that really could have pushed the locker room one way or the other, where you could have had guys really buying in and feeling as though their coach was truly invested in them. And you could have had some guy saying, wow, this guy doesn't think we can take a little bit of heat on Twitter or message boards or whatever. I, I think that was a pretty contentious topic. And I, Clint, I was just curious, what were your thoughts on that in terms of how you think it might've affected morale leading up to the tech game? You know, the way he put it was just kind of lame, but I thought it was completely overblown by the fans. Um, I, I think Kleiman still has, uh, you know, the players, their respect, their attention, um, their morale is high. So I, I don't think they were very affected by it. Um, but, you know, obviously the fans really took it and ran with it. So they probably uh, felt it way more than the players did. A little midweek fodder never hurt anybody. And I suppose at the end of the day, that message might have been what galvanized the team and you know they had to rally obviously getting in the two touchdown hole before you could even blink really so perhaps Kleiman's words in a way were were the inspiration and and the the support that that group needed to get it done and and all is well that ends well I suppose it's a one-point win for Kansas State they make it now 10 wins in the last 11 meetings with the Texas Tech Red Raiders, which is so bizarre for me to say. Just I always think back to those games in the early 2000s, really since Mike Leach got there, where Tech really had Bill Snyder's number, and they worked us over pretty good in that era. And I just always felt like, God, are we ever going to be able to beat this program again? Because Tech, again, as I said, those were some pretty decided wins uh, in that series in the early part of the 2000s and on into the Ron Prince era. But K-State really has taken a stranglehold against the Red Raiders here for now more than a decade. So great to see K-State continue its dominance in the recent meetings between these two squads. Let's go ahead and dive into the tale of the tape here and talk about a couple of high-level numbers. A lot of weird statistical oddities in this game uh, k-state ends up outgaining tech again it's not often the wildcats outgain anybody 377 to 318 the final there on the yardage front k-state outgains them on a per play bla- uh, per play basis 6.4 to 5.7 here's where it gets a little wonky tech outrushes k-state 170 to 71 that's bizarre but k-state then doubling up on tech and passing yards 306 to 148 that's perhaps even more perplexing. But like I said, it was the recipe for success for Kansas State. And to that point, we normally do go offense first when we start doing our our game analysis. But quite frankly, I think the defense deserves a, a pretty significant amount of credit for the victory this past Saturday. And I quite honestly don't know where to start with that group just because it was such a, a weird heel turn that they did after getting bombed really in the first 30 minutes and and tech 
did whatever they wanted on those first few possessions. They scored touchdown on three out of the first four possessions. Uh, we're bolting out to a 21 to seven lead and K-State had to kick the ball back and it, we were potentially looking at going down three scores, but they got a big interception from, from Russ Yeast. And that really came at a pivotal time when that game might've been teetering. And, and that really did was what sparked the turnaround. I, I got to ask you guys, did, did you foresee that type of an effort just seeing the defense settle in the way that it did. It seems like that has, that's not something we've seen this entire season. Um, no, <laughs> I mean, you, they got out to that big 14, nothing hole. And I mean, you, you can't give the defense a pass on that because the first seven points were completely on the defense. But once you get in that big hole, um, then, you know, it's, it's definitely hard to, you fight your way out of there on offense and defense, but for the defense to really stiffen up in that second half and, and kudos to the players and the coaches making adjustments and really, um, you know, attacking with their defense. Uh, I did not see it coming, but it was pretty awesome to see. Yeah. You uh, started to see, you know, some things you hadn't seen since basically September with this team, you know, gang tackles behind the line of scrimmage, timely sacks, um, you know, I had, uh, uh, someone had said to me after the game, you know, they, they kind of likened it to to Stillwater, you know, the second half shutout in Stillwater. In my opinion, the difference being, you know, that, that w- this this second half shutout came against a team that was still actively trying to put the ball in the end zone, you know. And I'm not at all trying to say that Tech is on the same plane as Oklahoma State, but all that said with the game on the line, they were able to step up and make plays we frankly haven't seen them make in about three or four games. Yeah, I probably surprised the way it turned out. Um, but even even you said, Jeff, the, the turnaround from first to second half, it wasn't even really that. It was outside of the first five minutes of game time. You know, you take away those those opening, you know, the, the opening drive is two plays. That's something the defense just has to figure out, getting off to such poor starts. Um, two plays, touchdown. One play against Iowa State, touchdown. The Oklahoma State first drive of their game, they get the big, uh, big play on the, their first offensive possession for that screen pass that went, you know, whatever, and they they turn that into a touchdown on their opening drive. So yeah, defense has got off to some slow starts in conference play, and uh, that's definitely something they need to work on. But outside of that, and then the quick turnaround on the turnover, which was aided by a stupid late hit out of bounds uh, outside of that, the defense only gave up 10 points on the entire game. So um, they played pretty solid after those two first possessions and thank God they did because if they didn't, you know, it's a one point game. So that's pretty much what we needed from the defense was to, you know, they, if they allow you take away that start, they allow 10 points per half. You're going to take that, you know, and this is, just, you know, 10 points, uh, in the in the first half after the bad start, zero points in the second half. So, yeah, definitely needed. The second half shutout against Oklahoma State, obviously with a much different uh, connotation, let's say, compared to how fans were feeling following the second half shutout against Tech this past Saturday. Uh, that was the first time that Tech has been blanked in the final two quarters since Bill Snyder's second home finale, that 2018 game in which K-State defeated the Red Raiders 21 to six in Manhattan. So a little statistical find for our listeners there. And while we have 
really focused on the second half performance of the defense, you can really trace that back to them starting to settle in, as I mentioned in the later part of the second quarter. Tech's final six possessions went interception, field goal, safety, punt, downs, downs. So K-State's defense really did tighten the screws after, again, enduring the early haymaker, which that was nice to see. And Klanderman was willing to try some new things personnel-wise. We're seeing Reggie Stubblefield get moved around. We saw Morris Brown playing in the secondary. Also, another point to mention, too, the snap counts. If you look at what the guys on the defensive line were doing, they weren't rolling the starters out there for the bulk of the plays. Uh, guys like King Felix and, and Robert Hentz, Matt Lack and, and the like. Again, those guys were getting snap counts in the 30s. So they were fresh in those final two frames, which I think played, again, a big role why K-State was able to generate so much havoc. And that's another point that I did want to touch on, too. The havoc rate in the first handful of conference games was abysmal. K-State was rarely making plays behind the line of scrimmage. That was not the case this past Saturday. K-State had nine disruptive plays on 56 snaps, so that's a havoc rate of over 16%. That's the kind of effort that we need to see from this group as we move forward. And I know we say that football is a, a complicated game, and it is, but it's not a complicated game. If you can be disruptive, if you can get offenses off schedule, that obviously goes a long way. And flipping field position, getting the ball back, so on and so forth, it's it's just something that this group has to make sure that they continue as we move forward. And I hope we continue to see some more creativity from Klanderman's group. They were, again, very sharp this past Saturday in limiting tech to just 5.7 yards per play and just a tad over 300 yards of total offense. Now, We've heaped a fair amount of praise on the defense, which is very deserved. This is a group that's been much maligned through the first three conference games. I do want to ask you guys, though, about that that start that we saw from them. And again, it's obviously not very helpful when Malik coughs up the fumble right after you've given up the early touchdown and then you give Tech a quarter of a field and they, they're up on you 14-0 in the blink of an eye, as I said. Where did you feel like the defense struggled most in that in those early stages of the game. It just seemed like more of the same from what was happening the past, the previous three games where guys were out of position. The defense wasn't playing with urgency. They just uh, were kind of sitting back on their heels and poor tackling, just like always. But the flip was just switched somewhere in the, uh, really right about that interception that the uh, defense really started to turn it on. Yeah, to me, I don't know if it's just, just bad alignment on the first, you know, to start the game or guys are just, you know, not ready for, you know, game time when they get out there. Cause like the Iowa state game, for example, pretty simple, uh, simple run play by Iowa state turns into a long touchdown. And once he hits the hole, there's nobody around. And then against Texas tech, they two plays, they have all the space in the world to get to the end zone and, but in both games, after those initial few plays to start the game, like, you know, we pretty much held Brees Hall in check. He had maybe one or two decent runs after that. But, you know, it seemed like we were swarming him pretty good after his his opening run. And against Tech, the same thing. You know, even if they were kind of moving the ball and scoring, it just, you know, you're going to give up yards as a defense. You're never going to, you know, pitch a, a shutout in yards. Um, 
but you know yards were harder to come by after that so i don't i don't really know how to explain the poor starts on the defense because they just look like so out of position on those first few plays um and i'm not really sure if they're just not ready for the speed of the game yet and they kind of have to adjust to who they're playing on or if they're just you know not calling good plays to start out with the other team is out scheming them to start the game i don't really know what the deal is um but like Jeff, what you said, just to to say what this defense has been doing uh, in the Tech game that they've been lacking is, like I said, you know, every defense is going to give up yards. You're in the Big Twelve. Teams are going to score, but for as many game as many plays as you give up, you want to have also positive plays on defense. And now we got back to it. It seemed like the last three games before that we would have the bad plays, but we weren't having the sacks and the tackles for losses and the interceptions or anything like that. And against tech, it kind of was even and out more like you would hope to see it. One other thing I'll mention as far as starting games is concerned. If we win a coin toss at any point, the rest of the way, take the ball, <laughs> take the ball, roll Skylar out there. There's far too much evidence. And we've, these are not just inconsistencies. These are trends. The offense, while Messingham catches a fair amount of heat from K-State fans, at least those that are vocal on boards and Twitter, Messingham does typically have a solid first script coming out of the gate, and I'd be interested to see how the defense would react if they came out onto the field with a 7-0 advantage as opposed to starting a game 0-0. And again, that could be a mindset thing. I, I don't know, but... I'd be very interested to see how a game might play out if K-State took possession early, went right down the field, and got points on that first drive. I, I, In my mind, I think that would help alleviate a lot of the st- stress that the defense and a lot of the pressure that that defense feels. And then on the flip side, too, if you defer and you take the first possession of the third, we've seen it every game this year. It's three and out, and it's immediate punt, right back to the opposition. As I said, there's just far too much evidence to suggest that you might want to change your line of thinking as far as taking ball or deferring to the second half. That's just my opinion on it. I would love to see the coaching staff reevaluate their stance there, and I would love to see what this group might do if the defense comes onto the field playing with a lead, if that might help relieve some of the stress and some of the, the burden that they're feeling to try and start the game off and get the ball back for the offense. So. That's just my two cents there. One other item I did want to touch on as far as the defensive performance goes against certainly not trying to diminish the effort, but I'd be curious to know your guys' feelings as far as how Texas Tech managed that lead. In my mind, there were some missteps by Matt Wells and company, but did you feel like it was more of of him mismanaging the lead or did K-State's defense really just after they settled into the contest, do a good job of asserting itself and just being in the right spots to disrupt plays? Where do you guys feel that pendulum swung as far as that question goes? Well, a big part of the defense showing up in that second half were getting or plays in the backfield. And a lot of those plays, it seemed like the, uh, the defense just, the players just completely sold out. I mean, they, they went for the screen passes uh, before the ball was even thrown. I mean, that safety, uh, Felix went on the inside move where, you know, if something was going on the outside, there would be nobody there. And uh, I think that's uh, partially due to how much they uh, did on film study this week. I know Kleiman 
talked about that and they just seemed to know a lot of what was coming and they um, were able to execute that in the second half in a way they weren't in the first. Seeing the pass rush get home was maybe the most refreshing thing I saw all day or in uh, maybe the most refreshing thing I saw in, you know, three, four games. I kind of alluded to it before, but we'd been sending guys the last couple of games. They just weren't finding a way to get there, whether it was poor tackling, poor angles, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, that was definitely encouraging. And I'm really, really hoping not just a flash in the pan and something they can build on, because I do think, you know, to answer your original question, I do think that there would tech could have handled the second half a lot better than they did, but I do tend to think the defense, you know, really tightened it up when it really mattered the most. So, yeah, this is always a tough question because without knowing what tech's play calls are and seeing an all 22 look, you know, we were getting to the quarterback. Sometimes you look at it and say, well, we, we had bad coverage and he just missed a guy or sometimes it's, you know, good coverage and he has to hold on the ball. So, so without the all 22 look on everything uh, and without knowing exactly what their plays are supposed to be run, it's hard to say that, you know, it was tech beating themselves and not our, you know, maybe our defense just was, you know, Columbia didn't have anyone to throw it to. I don't know. Like I didn't really notice a whole lot of uh, misses on his part. I felt like if he was holding on the ball, you got to give the the secondary the benefit of the doubt that they were, you know, playing good coverage back there. Uh, there were a few plays where you're like kind of questioning, like, what are they doing? But for the most part, I don't I don't feel like there was that much of like Texas Tech is just doing stupid shit to to let us stay in the game. Like, I felt like the defense just was was playing pretty well. They were getting out and tackling in space and not letting small, you know, medium plays become big plays. I will yep. add, you know, I think there were there were times that, you know, there were probably receivers open for Tech, but they were never going to be found because the pass rush was so disruptive and Columbia was either scrambling the wrong way or was already being taken to the turf. So, I mean, it, you know, it, I, how much does the pass rush even uh, allow a little bit of wiggle room and does it – because like we'd said it before, Columbia had more incompletions – Saturday than Brock Purdy and Spencer Rattler did combined uh, in, in our in our last two games before that. And how much of that is credited to the fact that they can't they're not just camping out in the pocket. So, yeah, I mean, really, really solid overall defensive effort. So I have the analogy of if you're into baseball, you know. Sometimes a pitcher throws it right down the middle and a guy whips, you know, sometimes you throw, you know, six inches off the ground and a guy hits a home run. So, you know, yeah, there's going to be open guys that the quarterback misses. Um, but if you're getting the pressure on there, you're making his life hard. He's going to be more likely to miss it. So, you know, just because you threw one right down the middle and a guy missed doesn't mean that's a good pitch. But on the on the same side, you know, sometimes you get beat on a good play where you had a good play um, and you just get beat. So, you know, yeah, there there's probably – probably some receivers he missed there's probably some plays we got lucky on but uh the same is kind of true on the same on the the opposite side as well like i said certainly not trying to diminish the defensive effort but i do think matt wells and company obviously when you lose a game by one point you're going to go back and see 
a ton of little things, decisions that were made as far as play calling, personnel groupings, you, you name it. You're going to see a lot of mistakes that you made that if you think of why I do X differently, if I do Y differently, the outcome of this game is different. I, I still do think the defense deserves a fair amount of credit for, for what happened and what Texas Tech was able to do or not do rather in the second half. But I will say a couple of things that I noticed were Tech pretty obviously telegraphing plays when Donovan Smith came in. They were rolling in him at quarterback more or less as a wildcat type player where he, he did not attempt to pass the, in, in his in his snaps when he came in. He just rushed five times for 15 yards. So K-State did a good job of limiting him when he came in for Columbia. Uh, again, pretty obviously, though, telegraphing what they're wanting to do when, when you change out quarterbacks like that. And then as far as Columbia and, and maybe where he stacks up in terms of the rest of the Big 12 quarterbacks, you know, you have to keep in mind, this is a Utah State transfer. He, he certainly isn't a game breaker uh, by any stretch of the imagination. He's put up respectable numbers as far as Big 12 quarterbacks go, but uh, I don't think he's on the level anywhere close to, obviously, you know, what we saw in Spencer Rattler and, and, and Brock Purdy and to a lesser degree, Spencer Sanders. I, I still don't think he's really anywhere close to any of those guys in terms of how he sees the field, how he reads a defense, how he goes through progressions. So as I said, certainly trying my best not to detract from the victory, but I, I do think K-State was facing a, a signal caller who who is a little bit more limited in in his ability to make plays. But all is well, that ends well. And the 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 play I wanted to come to now is really the play that turned the tide of this game and it started with special teams for Kansas State the offense as we touched on promptly goes three and out on its opening possession of the third quarter Ty Zentner though gets off a great punt and gets a very friendly kick as the ball rolls inside the tech five yard line Tyrone Hell uh, Howell excuse me gets down there to down it at the four First snap of the ensuing possession for Texas Tech. You have Felix Enudike Uzama making a tremendous read, gets an exceptional jump off the ball. And Tech ran a little eye candy out there, too. They had the receiver coming in motion for the fly sweep, and they had the dive going with Sharadrick Thompson. Felix guesses right and drops him in the backfield for a four-yard loss, a safety. It's the first time K-State's recorded a safety in a game since 2005. That makes the score 24 to 12. And then on the free kick, K-State retakes possession, goes right down the field to score. It's honestly, it's what you would do in an NCAA football game if you're saying, okay, computers got me down. I need A to happen. I need B to happen. I need C to happen. And you get like the ideal sequence of events all unfolding the exact way that you need them to. And that's exactly what Kansas State got. They came right back after getting that big momentum swing by the defense and then the offense delivers, holds up its end of the bargain to draw to within five points, and then all of a sudden we've got a ball game in Lubbock. It was great to see, and I think this is an opportune time now to transition to the offensive side of the ball. Like I said, great complementary football, special teams defense, contributing offense finally getting its footing, though, in that second half, and Skyler leading that drive to draw to within 24-19. to 19. 
there's a number of different players that we can single out here. Skyler with the 300-yard passing game following a, a stat correction there. Props to uh, KSU underscore fan for identifying that and reviewing the official box score. So Skyler has a big game there. First game, K-State's won, actually, when Skyler completes more than 20 passes. That was uh, He's only had four of those games now in his career, but the previous three were were all L. So Skyler gets a, a weird monkey off his back in that regard. Deuce Vaughn does Deuce Vaughn things. Didn't have a great day running the ball. There weren't a lot of rain, uh, lanes rather to run through. Uh, Tech did a great job limiting uh, the gaps between the tackles. And K-State did try to run wide a number of times. And again, credit to Texas Tech's defense. They, they came out with a great scheme and they were doing a good job roaming sideline to sideline and keeping Deuce Vaughn in check as far as that goes. And they held K-State to just 2.4 yards per carry on 29 attempts. So a good job by the Texas Tech defense there in that regard, but Deuce Vaughn's contributions in the past game, again, cannot go unnoticed, and he has the, the go-ahead touchdown reception in the fourth quarter to give K-State the 25-24 to advantage that, fortunately, the Wildcats do not surrender. Guys, I got to ask you, who, who stood out the most to you this past Saturday as far as offensive players go? I thought Skyler... Uh, spreading it around was the most impressive thing. I mean, at K-State, you're lucky to have five players catch the ball in one game, and there was 11 in this one. I mean, that's just not something we've seen very often, and Skyler's really becoming that quarterback that we always knew that he could be. No, he's not perfect, but, uh, you know, he's he looks like a veteran out there. He's doing everything that you want him to do, uh, and it's with... Uh, the threat of deuce, you know, teams are really uh, coming down into the box and Skyler's just back there making them pay for it. Skyler's sitting back there and throwing the ball, spreading it around to different guys. Um, one of his best throws he's ever made, unfortunately, bounced off of Landry Weber's chest on the sideline. That would have, uh, I think that was our first possession um, of the game, would have given us a first down. But yeah, this is something we've kind of, hope to see from Skyler and obviously we want a better running game on our offense that's kind of what we want to do uh but I've been saying for you know I I don't think we have to be a run 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 and then maybe pass the ball type of team like I think we have decent enough weapons and we have a quarterback that can spread the ball around um we have an offensive line that does a pretty good job of uh pass protecting um, you know, sometimes it's kind of hit and miss on run blocking, but that also has to do with defenses are pretty much going to try to stop our run game first and foremost. But I think we have the tools to go back there and be efficient on offense, move the chains uh, through the passing game. Not We don't have to abandon the run, but, you know, this game we kind of did just because we were playing from behind from from the get-go. But, yeah, I think just the efficiency of the offense – 24 of 30, 306 yards from a K-State quarterback. We haven't seen numbers consistently like that probably since Jake Waters when he was thrown it to, you know, Tyler Lockett and Curry Sexton. So, but yeah, I think the other thing, Clint said it also, just getting the ball to 11 different dudes out there, you know, do we have the best wide receiver core in, in the Big 12? No, we don't, but I think we have enough guys that are capable enough to, you know, to beat teams through the air when we have to. 
or at least make them respect it a little bit more so the we can get our running game to go a little bit more. But <clears throat> my last thing I'll say about the offense, and I've been saying it for weeks, just you got to find a way to get Deuce the ball out in space. He's going to get his carries up the middle, but that is not his strong suit. And all good, you know, two touchdowns on, on uh, you know, straight running plays for Deuce, which is good. But, you know, the, the big touchdown at the end there for on a play action, him out of the backfield, the play that got him all over Twitter for juking, you know, half of the Texas Tech roster on one play, that was a dump off out of the backfield. He is so dangerous out in space, and, you know, they did a good job with that, but more of that, please. When our running game was really kind of a non-factor because we, I think because we got down two scores early, you know, we were kind of forced to air it out a little more. Yeah, Deuce was still able to turn in a three-touchdown performance. Um, you know, seven catches led the team in a game where, as was just talked about, 11 guys caught at least one ball. Um, that dude, like, I still think we're we're still, like, learning how much of a weapon that guy really is. And, yeah, I mean, his two best plays were obviously the, you know, the play-action touchdown that, that ended up giving us the lead. And then, you know, essentially a check down to do the check down that he made, you know, six different guys miss. One of the few things Tillman got right on the broadcast is Deuce made that many guys look foolish while he himself moved all of about 12 inches. So, I mean, that I mean, it is incredible what that dude can can do when he gets the ball and you have to try to tackle him one on one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Skyler had a hell of a day through the air, but I mean, Deuce is clearly the heart of this offense so that one dump off too that was a a pretty much a zero yards in the air type of throw just straight down the line Uh yeah but it was actually a really nice throw like you know he had to turn his body and get it out there sideways so that was a tough throw to dump it off to deuce he was he was a good 15 yards away from him it wasn't like you know a little pitch and i feel like that's a play that if skyler was not gimping around he probably runs the ball there and probably gains like four yards you know like it could be yeah i don't i don't want to say it's a blessing in disguise because you still you you like to have that option of the quarterback run game but it's almost like skyler hurting his knee is just really taking the passing game to another level yep he's weirdly learning on the fly if you think about it he's never been limited in the running game like he is presently. And I I don't think that's a problem when you get right down to it. I I think he's, he's starting to see now that, Hey, checking down to do spawn can produce good things. Checking down to, you know, if it's Joe Irvin coming out of the backfield, if you're finding a tight end on the stick route, you know, guys make a living in the NFL getting seven, eight yards at a time. And if those throws are there, absolutely take them. And I would much rather see Skyler dump off to Deuce Vaughn, even if it's for a three or four yard gain, as opposed to him trying to get out, move laterally. We saw him, he, he still, he, he did have the big conversion on the fourth and short early on in the, uh, in the second quarter. But I think everybody, when he takes off now is kind of, <gasps> Hold the breath. Hopefully he doesn't take a weird shot. You know, I, I'd still say I feel much more comfortable with Skyler scanning the field. And again, he's still honing that skill set of of seeing his his check down and his safety valve. So 
I think we're only going to continue to see better things out of Skyler as his, his super senior season comes to a conclusion here. Uh, he looked great this past Saturday, and obviously we all hope that that uh, trend continues with him throwing at a high clip, hitting 80% of his throws again, going for over 300 yards. Uh, one more superlative I do want to mention as far as Deuce Vaughn goes. Uh, he has become the fastest player in school history to hit 2,000 yards. He's accomplished that feat before the end of his sophomore year, and he is now in the rarefied air with Darren Sproles and Tyler Lockett. So he took only 17 games to hit that mark. And when you think about it too, Tyler Lockett had the benefit of the return yardage, uh, Darren, to a lesser degree, Darren, again, was pretty much a bell cow type running back in the Snyder offense at that stage in his career. But still uh, a very impressive feat by Deuce Vaughn. And again, we, we continue to see his development in, in all facets. Uh, we didn't really see him contributing much in the passing game early on in the season. And I think that, though, is more of a byproduct of the fact that K-State was able to run so effectively in the non-con. We're now getting back to that Deuce Vaughn that we saw during conference play last year, making big plays in the passing game. So again, yet another trend that we all hope will persist during this home stretch of the season. Now, we've talked plenty about the positives in this game, and there were, there were a number of things that K-State can absolutely take away that they can build off of coming down the home stretch, but a couple of negatives that I, I can't not discuss here. Uh, the penalties were, were not great for Kansas State. They had 12 for 93 yards, a lot of procedural stuff, uh, and, and honestly could have gotten popped for a couple of personal fouls here and there. And, and officiating in this game was was really erratic, but neither here nor there. It's things that Kansas State absolutely needs to get cleaned up. I'm trying, again, not to be dismissive, but I do kind of shrug these off in games like this where all is well that ends well. Uh, another thing, though, that I want to mention, the Malik fumble, again, the timing of that could not have been worse. The Nick Lenners fumble, uh, that was in my mind, going to be the more catastrophic because this is coming on the heels of Kansas State having rallied from all of the, you know, the mistakes that had occurred in the first few minutes of the game has drawn to within 24 to 19. Nick Linners has a first down, has it by, you know, a yard and a half, two yards easily. And then for whatever reason reaches when he, he absolutely does not have to. That's that's one of those things where, where you have to be aware of, where you are on the field, even if you feel like, oh, this is a fourth and five, did I get, you know, did I get the five or am I sitting at about four and a half? Even if you come up short, I, I, I say be smart, secure the ball as you're going down. Because if it comes down to us going for it on a fourth and a foot, I would much rather roll the dice there than you trying to reach when defenders are converging on you trying to knock that ball out. So that was one play that, quite frankly, infuriated me. I lost my mind. Uh, I'd rather not repeat some of the things I said in the group chat at that point in time. But those are mistakes that you absolutely have to get cleaned up because, again, as we come down the home stretch here, the margin for error is going to continue to be small. It's going to be small this coming Saturday, particularly against TCU. This is a very prolific offense. Uh, this is on track to be Gary's uh, highest scoring offense uh, since that 2015 team that was quarterbacked by Trevon Boykin. So that's given you an idea about how, uh, how much Max Duggan has improved as a passer, what TCU brings to the table also in the running game with Zach Evans. There's, there's a lot of weaponry that can stress Kansas state. And to that point, again, 
you, you can't afford to be giving extra opportunities to an offense like that or, or any offense as we come down the home stretch. You still have Baylor to worry about. That's one of the more explosive attacks in the Big 12. You still have Texas and Bijan Robinson to worry about. You have to make sure you get these mistakes cleaned up because the other side of that too has been this this defense for Kansas State has not been great about forcing turnovers. You've only forced two in conference play, so you can't really bank on the defense going back out on the field and and getting you the ball back and, and taking a possession away from that opposing offense. So we we still do have a couple of things that need to be cleaned up in that regard. And, and guys, I'll, I'll put it to you. Any areas that you wanted to touch on as far as some of the, uh, the shortcomings and the mistakes that we saw this past Saturday? I would like to expand on your bad because, you know, you said don't sweat it because we won, but a lot of those mistakes could have been the reason why we lost and have been the reasons why we've lost the last few, you know, it's, it's one thing when you just have one of those games where you just got a bunch of turnovers, not a bunch, but a couple of turnovers and a bunch of penalties, but it feels like that is most games that we are playing. Um, you know, you got the uh, got the Will Howard fumble against Oklahoma State, um, the Jacardier Wright fumble against Oklahoma early on the first drive, uh, the big play against Iowa State, which is a blown assignment. You got the 12 man, 12 men on the field that, you know, should have gotten us off the field against Iowa State. Um, Skyler throws a pick early in the Iowa State game. So, so these, you know, it's forgiven in this game because we won, but that is something that is definitely a concern um, just because it just keeps happening in, in most of these games. I hear you, man. And I might have sounded a little cavalier and saying all this well that ends well i i do again i'm trying trying to do what coach Kleiman asked me to do man trying to be positive here but i i get it we we, we talk so much about the margin for error with this team because frankly it, it doesn't have the requisite talent to overcome mistakes or i i should see a, a significant number of mistakes and and a significant number could mean four or five you could you know between offense defense and special teams you could play tremendous assignment sound football on 124 of 130 snaps but those six where you have a coverage bust or a turnover or a holding or whatever the play is where you have a a mental error those can prove to be game altering and to that point the margin for error will continue to remain small. I certainly hope, though, as far as trends to see moving forward, that the defense feels like it's getting a better grip of the 3-3-5. And, and maybe that's been part of this, too, as far as what we've seen defensively, that the learning curve in terms of adjusting to how you're defending you know, your non-con opponents like Stanford and Southern Illinois to defending the likes of Oklahoma and Iowa State. Again, that's a pretty significant improvement just in overall talent that you're seeing between those opponents the scheme the coaching uh, again the the, those latter two squads that i mentioned have a pretty sizable advantage there when compared to the former two so maybe that's part of what we're seeing from this defense they're feeling more comfortable now with the new alignment with and knowing with where to be offensively uh, again th- those are things though where I, I don't have as much sympathy i should say 
uh, particularly when you're being quarterbacked by a sixth-year senior. You're, you have continuity across the coaching staff as far as the offense and the scheme goes. Those are the things that I, I cannot really stand for as a fan and, and say that I can tolerate it. You know, the penalties need to get cleaned up. Ball security needs to get cleaned up. Like I said, the, the margin for error is going to continue to be small, but I certainly hope that the guys do t- do learn from those mistakes moving forward and uh, can, can parlay that in, in a positive manner uh, coming down the back half of this, this schedule here. So one final thing I'll mention as far as the Tech game goes, really a, a, a poetic note, I should say, for, for Skyler. If you think about it, this is kind of where it all began for him. If you go all the way back to 2017, this game, uh, this was a game in which K-State had grabbed an early lead, but then Tech came back. Alex Delton, not surprisingly, got QB powered into concussion protocol. So Skyler has to come in and relieve him and is faced with a tough proposition. K-State does force a missed field goal, uh, but it's 35-27 uh, with only a handful of ticks remaining on the clock, and Skyler's got to get the offense down the field, get the touchdown, and get the two to send this one into overtime. And, and that's what he does in, in his first real stressful scenario as a signal caller. He absolutely delivered for Kansas State, and ultimately the Wildcats ended up pulling out a victory in Lubbock on that day back in 2017. And Skyler, uh, for his career, has never lost in a game in which he has participated against Texas Tech. I got to say, record-wise, Skyler, we're probably going to credit you with 4-0, uh, even though he's uh, played in five games against the Red Raiders. You know, we certainly can't undersell the, the, the value of his comeback effort in the 2017 game. In the same breath, he only ended up playing uh, a handful of, of snaps in that game last season. So we'll, we'll credit your lifetime, though, 4-0 against the Red Raiders. And, and again, those victories have proven to be pretty pivotal in terms of what they did for each of those respective teams in terms of trajectory of the season. None more critical than this one, just in terms of, uh, again, silencing some fan critics for, for seven days and buying a little bit of time for this uh, coaching staff to, to again, feel like they're making progress with these guys and feel like they're working towards an, an, an goal and an objective here. So Skylar Thompson, again, big, big win for him. And you saw some of the emotion at the end and that final kneel down, you saw him clasp the ball with two hands. You know that one meant a lot to him. You saw him, obviously, in the post-game video as well that got tweeted out by the official uh, K-State football account. Uh, for Klimt might be the word. You, you could see that he was he was very, uh, not emotional crying, but just kind of didn't know what to do with his hands type of motion. He was so excited that they managed to come out and get that win. And that was great to see. It's, it's, it's great to see guys still invested after losing three games when, again, some of the fan chatter after that 3-0 and start started to be, oh, man, Dark Horse Big 12 title, you know, appearance, so on and so forth. And that so quickly gets taken away from you with, with three lackluster performances in your three for, uh, your first three conference games. It was great to see the guys rally. And I think Skyler is a big reason why guys are still staying invested. You need to have that type of leadership in the locker room. So very, very big for, for this team to get it done. And Skyler, a big reason why. And I think that's a nice little segue into our weekly awards here uh, in which we uh, give out several distinctions for a number of uh, players. We start off with the team MVP, the Michael Bishop Award for this week. Fair amount of debate on this one because there were a couple of 
you could make very legitimate and compelling cases for, for Deuce, for King Felix, but but ultimately kind of what I touched on just a few moments ago with what Skyler has done for Kansas State against the Red Raiders in his career and what he did uh, this past Saturday and getting the offense off the mat and, and leading several touchdown drives when K-State could not afford to settle for field goals. He, he was instrumental in, in helping lead the Wildcats to the victory. And again, a 24 for 30 effort uh, with for over 300 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Skyler, by a nose, gets the nod for Michael Bishop Award winner for the team MVP. We'll next shift our focus to the defensive MVP this week. And uh, Nutter, not a lot of debate on this one. It's got to go to our, our boy, King Felix. At this point, everybody knows who he is, and he's still able to do what he's doing. That's, again, with offenses keying on him and without Khalid Duke on the other side of the line. I mean, this guy is clearly a star in the making, and that safety he had is easily the best defensive play of the Chris Kleiman era. And like I said, I would put that up against pretty much any defensive highlight you can think of for K-State. That young man will be playing on Sunday sometime soon. Hopefully not too soon, though, King Felix. We uh, we still need you to uh, wreak havoc on these Big 12 offenses for a couple more years. But to your point, Nutter, again, he's commanding so much attention, and, and rightfully so. He's, he's second in the Big 12 in sacks, only behind Iowa State's Will McDonald. He's going to only grow stronger, become more comfortable and confident in that role. And then when you project forward of how he's going to be able to perform once he has Khalid Duke on the opposite side, again, only great things in store ahead for King Felix. Love to see him get that recognition too from Marcus Spears on the big man balling segment he does on ESPN. So great things for King Felix this past week, very much deserving of the Seminole award for our player of the week defensively. Now, We'll shift gears now and look to our Darren Sproles Award winner for the performance against Texas Tech. And our our stipulation is if you are the team MVP, you cannot be both team and offensive or defensive MVP. That being said, Alex, pretty obvious selection here. It's Deuce Vaughn doing Deuce Vaughn things. Deuce is Deuce. Deuce getting the ball out in space is always a good thing. He might not have gotten loose in the running game this past Saturday, only ended up with 52 yards on 15 carries, but made some big contributions in the passing game, was the leading receiver with seven receptions for 68 yards, all told 120 all-purpose for Deuce Vaughn. He also accounts for all three Kansas State touchdowns. Very much the same way that King Felix does for the defense. You know he's going to command all the attention of the opposing side of the ball, yet he is still going out and producing. So Deuce Vaughn is our Darren Sproles award winner for the offensive player of the week. And now we get to turn our attention to special teams. Our David Allen award winner for the special teams player of the week, Clint. I got to give it to our boy here. Ty Zentner was huge. Ty Zentner, Legatron is his uh, newly dubbed nickname from Deuce Vaughn. Uh, yeah, guy's a stud. You know, he's been bringing it week in and week out. Um, you know, that, that punt that he had, you know, was kind of just a, a nice, uh, you know, generous roll from the football gods uh, to get it down inside the five. But when he does that consistently time after time, you know, it's, it starts to less look less and less like luck and more more and more like skill. Um, so, you know, he's having quite the season. He should be up for some all Big 12 type of awards here at the end of the year. 
I think Zentner also gets some serious props for bailing out a couple of really bad penalties on the final kickoff of the game. Um, those were, I mean, absolute bombs off of his foot two times in a row at that. Mm-hmm. He freaking cranked that kick. And I know kickoffs are looked at now as this kind of trivial play, especially with the rule change, that bullshit now where you can fair catch it anywhere inside the 25 and they'll just immediately spot it on the 25. It's unfortunate that this segment of the game has been reduced by the rule change, but to bring it back to Zettner's kick there, with the two penalties, the personal foul by Malik and then the offsides by Munoz, he's kicking off from his own 15. All of a sudden you start thinking about field position and and really – in your mind, you're just thinking, you know, even if Tech has a, a marginally good return, they're, they're going to be setting up shop close to midfield. That's not what happened here. Zentner just bombs this one, and that Mar- uh, Martinez, the returner for uh, Texas Tech, has to go all the way back to his four to field this one. Landry Weber gets down there, makes a big-time tackle on special teams, so Tech ultimately ends up setting up on their own 25. Now, granted, the very next play, you give up the 28-yard scramble to Columbia, but Think about the hidden yardage there. If that kick is fielded and returned out to, let's say, you know, the 45-yard line or wherever Texas Tech ends up getting it, there's a lot of, of hidden yardage there. And I, I think that's a play that cannot go unnoticed. That was very large in, in how this uh, the final few minutes of this game played out. We obviously have talked ad nauseum about the coverage, the punt coverage team rather getting down there covering that punt, uh, Tyrone Howell downing that one inside the five, and then King Felix getting the safety on the next play. Again, some big-time contributions from Zentner, Legatron, very much deserving of the David L. Allen Award winner for this week's Special Teams Player of the Week. Now, I want to talk next about our Arthur Brown Award, which goes to the newcomer of the week, Russ Yeast. It was great to see him against Iowa State. He made a nice play on a 50-50 ball down the field in that contest. This week, he's actually able to get his mitts on one and snake an interception for Kansas State. And and that really did come at a, a pretty pivotal point in the game in that K-State has just punted the ball back to Tech, and they're already down now 21-7. to So you're giving the ball back to the Red Raiders, and you're worried about them potentially going up by three scores going into the locker room. K-State in dire need of something positive to happen, and they get that very timely turnover, something that just really hasn't happened at all for this defense in conference play. So it was great to see Yeast pull down that interception get it in plus territory for Kansas State, and the Wildcats ultimately end up having to settle for a field goal. But again, when you talk about a one-point game, man, every one of them counts. So that was a very pivotal play for this Kansas State defense. So Russ Yeast is our award winner, uh, excuse me, rather our Arthur Brown award winner for the newcomer of the week. The next award we're going to talk about here is our John Hubert award going to the unsung hero of the game. And we had a little bit of debate about this one, but we ultimately ended up going with a wide receiver in Tyrone Howell, Justin. Uh, yeah, only had the one catch, but it was a big one, one of our bigger offensive plays of the day. But the play to run down the punt that's actually rolling the same direction you're running while you're born down on the goal line, that's actually a pretty pretty great play, especially given the timing of all of it, and then you, we all know what happened on the next play. That's, uh, that's pretty huge and set up what ended up being the absolute turning point in that game, so Definitely good to uh, see him coming on in the receiving game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely an underrated play for sure. 
one that could absolutely go by the wayside. And he had to climb the ladder, too, on that catch that he made. That was, as you said, K-State's real, pretty much one of their only big chunk plays of the day. And that segues nicely, though. You mentioned, obviously, the play that that set up is our Trey Walker Award winner for this week for the moment of the game. It goes, obviously, to King Felix. And, Alex, we've already talked about this one ad nauseum. This was a sensational play. We see King Felix get recognition on the big man balling segment. He gets a lot of love here. Uh, and I, I don't think any of us can express already how happy we are for, for this unsung or not unsung, but under recruited prospect to come in and make the kind of impact that he's making for K-State this season. Alex, is there anything you wanted to add about the play from King Felix? Just got to add that, uh, so I was watching, I saw the punt, but I was kind of out running some errands and I saw him down it, you know, he grabs it at, I think it was at the four is where it was spotted, but obviously, you know, he touches at the four, grabs it, kind of runs. So in my head, I didn't know exactly where they, um, where they spotted the ball. And then I missed the, the, uh, you know, went to commercial. Like I said, I was out, I think I was at the barber my kid was getting a haircut or something so i was kind of trying to watch it on my phone but also do other stuff and i look up and see we got a safety and i thought oh they must have spotted that ball at like the one yard line for you know i'm like huh that's weird and then i see the replay i was like nope that was the four yard line that was a four yard you know tackle for loss from four yards where he just completely blew up the dude so I just, you know, when people remember that, it, it wasn't just a safety. It was <laughs> behind the line of scrimmage, which is just the way that play was just a straight run is just insane. And yeah. And, you know, Tech ran a little bit of eye candy out there, too. They did the fake fly sweep. Felix, though, got a great jump and guessed right, too. They they went with the dive on that rather than the sweep. So as we, you know, the refrain of this show, all is well that ends well. And it was, again, it was just an, an awesome play to watch. And that's the first time K-State's recorded a safety uh, since 2005. And I went down a little rabbit hole. K-State actually recorded four safeties in that one season, which is wild to think about. It's rare, obviously, that you would even see one, much less four in one particular season. So a little statistical. Zach Giles had two in one game, didn't he, against Nebraska? Yes, we did have the two safeties. I believe Reggie Walker got one of them. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I would have to go back and look. But yes, I remember two against Nebraska in the same game. Um, try, and I, the one that everybody probably remembers from that season is uh, one against KU. Uh, getting Brian Luke in the end zone where he just kind of throws the ball out of the back to try and get rid of it. And then just dribbles out of the back of the end zone. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the, the forgotten one is in Snyder's final first final game against Missouri. And they get that one at the, uh, the start of the fourth quarter to pull that game to within, I think it was 28 to 23 if memory serves. So again, a little bit of, history there if you want to go back and deep dive into the 2005 Wildcats to uh, to fact check me go right ahead and do so but those are your award winners for K-State's performance against Texas Tech so with that being said we'll we'll touch on here briefly the results from the Big 12 this past week uh, we'll start off with pretty the, the big ticket game which was Iowa State at home hosting eighth ranked Oklahoma State 
and Brocktober continued. The Clones managed to pull it out. 24 to 21 was the final. Uh, Iowa State now 12 and 2 uh, when Brock Purdy is starting in the month of October. And he outduels uh, Spencer Sanders in this one. He throws for 307 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Spencer Sanders threw for a little bit over 200, had three touchdowns, no picks. It was just a, a good quality football game. A couple of controversial calls in this one, particularly at the end with the spot. Uh, did any of you guys see how that game played out in the end? I, yeah, I know the, the spot play you're talking about. And in my opinion, if they have a camera on that other sideline, we might be having a different conversation. But I am not at all surprised and it really not at all upset that the that the that the original uh, that the original spot stood. I just don't think there was a camera angle that was ever going to overturn it. That uh, celebration taunting penalty that uh, down off the board was probably one of the worst calls I've ever seen. You know, you, you you gotta you hate Iowa State complaining about everything, but holy shit, they got screwed on that one. Luckily, they ended up scoring on the drive anyways, but that was that was a terrible call. Yeah, Xavier Hutchinson was the receiver who who took that one in, and he actually ended up being the receiver who scored. I think it was two plays later they got into the end zone. So again, I'm like you said, Alex, that's, this is a, a fan base that's griped about anything and everything when it comes to officiating. And they, they did have a legitimate complaint there, I think. Just, again, a little little half-high step, in my opinion, certainly does not warrant a flag and it doesn't deserve to, to take a touchdown off the board. But nevertheless, clones come out victorious in this one, 24-21, to 21, and don't look now, Iowa State now in a three-way tie for second in the Big 12 at three and one. The other game I wanted to touch on here, a bit of a surprise. I shouldn't say a bit of a surprise, a, a huge surprise. KU leading the University of Oklahoma 10 to nothing at halftime. Pretty much had the Hawks playing just keep away from the Sooners in that in the first 30 minutes there. And KU actually led this one uh, at one point 17 to seven late into the third. But Oklahoma really kind of just flipped the switch and ended up running away with this one uh, in the late stages of the game. The final was 35 to 23. Oklahoma avoids a very embarrassing upset, but a pretty pivotal play in this one. Uh, KU Steve McBride had a fumble when the Hawks were driving and they were down 21 to 17, looking to take the lead back. Oklahoma gets the ball in plus territory. They score and stretch that back out to a two possession game. And that's pretty much all she wrote. Sooners have now won 17 straight in that series. A uh, little bonus question. Can anybody tell me the coaches of Oklahoma and or Kansas the last time KU defeated the Sooners? No, I'm not even going to try. Terry Allen. You got, yep, you got him. <laughs> Can anybody tell me who was coaching Oklahoma? This should be so obvious, guys. Oh, what was his name? I know. Yeah, I know. His, I know who you're talking about too. I said I wasn't gonna guess. What was it? John Blake. There we go. There you go. There you go, Nutter. Way to go. You guys what ever you... heard of a Power Five school opening the gates at halftime? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not since before our lifetime when K State used to do that every game. <laughs> Fair. I and just... I will say they showed a couple pan shots, you know, in the fourth quarter, and I don't, I don't think many people took them up on that. My thing, I figure this happens all the time at KU. I've heard about every game they let people come in at half. 
without a ticket. Maybe not just flat advertising it like that, though. I mean, I was surprised that it was newsworthy. I figured they'd probably done this several times before. Yeah, I guess when you got number three on the ropes and you haven't had a notable win in this long, it I, I get it. I'm not saying that. Like, I I, I understand it. The pow- that, that's so wild for me to to think about too the just the power of social media hey let's let's tweet out hey guys gates are open if you want to roll up feel free come on down uh but yeah nobody as you said uh, nutter really making the effort to to get into memorial stadium to watch the hawks spit the bit and lose by two scores so 35 to 23 again the final in that one oklahoma moving on to eight and oh this season and the final game in big 12 play that i'll touch on here TCU at home, homecoming opponent was West Virginia, and the Frogs just totally face plant in this one. The Mountaineers pick up a win, 29-17 to 17 was the final, and, and really this one was, don't be deceived by the score because TCU took the opening kickoff back for a touchdown, and then it was all West Virginia from that point on, uh, and you can find, if you look at the box score, there's a lot of pretty obvious reasons why West Virginia won this one. Being plus three in turnovers obviously helps, but there's a lot of distressing things for this TCU squad. Chief among them is the defense, giving up 458 yards to a pretty pedestrian offense in West Virginia has to be alarming. And on the flip side of the coin for for Kansas State fans, that's obviously something we have to be pretty encouraged and excited to potentially see this coming Saturday. And I think with that said, it's a good opportunity for us to to dive into this week's uh, predictions for the Wildcats upcoming game against TCU. So the Horned Frogs are coming in at three and four on the season. Now one and three in Big 12 play. And guys, I do want to just touch on the fact, and I think it's worth noting this TCU team and this coaching staff in particular, I feel like are going through a lot of the same uh, predicaments that Bill Snyder and his folks were going through in the latter part of the 2.0 era. This we're hearing a lot of chirping again, because we just live in this day and age of fan culture. If we're, we're not seeing immediate results and immediate improvement and, and, and responses to deficient areas, Position coaches aren't doing their job. Coordinators aren't doing their job. Everybody's got to get fired. We have to start over. And I think a lot of people are going, getting sour on Gary Patterson as well. This is his 21st year in Fort Worth. And I think the message might be getting a little stale. And I think you see that with the play of the unit that he oversees the defense. Uh, This TCU defense is on pace to be uh, one of the worst, the worst since they've joined the Big 12 and one of the worst since Gary's been coaching in Fort Worth. So a lot of, again, as I said, encouraging signs if you're on the Kansas State side of this. And with that being said, this TCU team, as I said, giving up over 450 yards per game and really butting up against KU when you look at a lot of the other statistical categories, uh, just in terms of rushing yards allowed, yards per carried allowed, pass efficiency. This this TCU defense just has not gelled at all. It has not performed at the level the scary Patterson defenses are typically performing at that being said guys what what areas do you feel like k-state tries to exploit this coming saturday 
certainly they're going to try to get the running game going. I mean, they've been trying for a while now, and if they can't get it going in this game, then there probably isn't going to be any hope the rest of the year because TCU's run defense is bad. Yeah, uh, that with as prolific as their offense is, if we can get the if we can get the ground game going, you know, average four or five a carry, keep that offense off the field. That's going to be a pretty solid recipe for success, I think. Agreed. They're going to try to pound that a gap. God, Alex, you just make it sound so awkward every Ew. time. <laughs> Yeah, this TCU defense, second to last in the conference in total defense, giving up close to 32 points per game. Second to last in the conference, giving up around 450 yards per game. Second to last in the conference in rush defense, pass efficiency defense, pass defense. They're just, they're they're in bad company. You don't want to be mentioned with the likes of Kansas when we're talking about where you're situated in terms of statistics on defense and that really does paint the picture of how dire things are in Fort Worth on that side of the ball and how it's wildly uncharted territory for Gary Patterson's bunch. And I will offer up a shameless plug to our listeners to check out that other episode of College and Kimball that's showing up in your podcast feed this week. I had a chance to catch up with Jeff Mitchell, who covers TCU for 24-7 sports. He, he waxed poetic about the defense and, and where they are this season, but he did make a point to single out the defensive tackles and that has to be music to your ears if you are Courtney Messingham and why I say that K-State really hasn't had a game in Big 12 play at least where they've dictated the line of scrimmage they they've had efficient outings they've been efficient in running a to gap power the the best game that they've had was against Iowa State and they only managed to average 4.1 per carry And, and frankly that's not who or what this team aspires to be on that side of the ball. They like to control tempo. They like to dictate pace of the game. And I think this really is as good a week as any for Kansas State to get back on the right foot as far as that goes. Uh, I certainly expect Deuce Vaughn to get a number of touches. I'd like to see Joe Irvin start to do some damage and dent and increase that TCU defense. We've talked about it, how he might be the better back in terms of what Messingham and company had envisioned this offense functioning as on a down-by-down basis. It's not to discredit Deuce Vaughn, who's an exceptional talent and can do so many things in the open field. But when you get right down to it, this is an offense that wants to grind you out six to eight yards at a time. And to that, to that point, Irvin is more of the back perhaps suited to do that running in between the tackles. So, It'll be interesting to see who gets the lion's share of the carries this coming Saturday. I certainly hope that Urban does get a, a number of touches and the K-State does get back to its true self on offense and gets back to road grading teams the way that it was in the non-con. So a big opportunity ahead for Courtney Messingham and his bunch. On the flip side for the Kansas State defense and how they're going to have to hold up against TCU's offense TCU's got some dudes on this side of the ball, and it's largely gone by the wayside because everybody's so keyed in on how poorly the defense of the Frogs is playing. But Max Duggan has very quietly made some nice progression as a quarterback in the Big 12. He's tossed 14 touchdowns already. He's on pace to throw for pretty close to 3,000 yards. TCU's got 
an elite running back in Zach Evans. He was one of the most sought after uh, running backs in the 2020 recruiting class, and he opted to come to Fort Worth and turn down offers from a number of Blue Blood programs. But to paint a picture of where he is, he is going to surpass LaDainian Tomlinson's yardage from scrimmage total through his first two seasons. So that lets you know the type of back that he is. He's going to easily eclipse 1,000 yards rushing this year. And don't forget about him coming out of the backfield. He's got great hands, and he's he's a guy that, to again revert back to the interview, Jeff Mitchell said he's he's a potential first-day draft type of talent depending on when he decides to go. So you've got a matchup nightmare there and another one on the boundary as well with Quinton Johnston, the 6'4 wide receiver, who's albeit a little bit lean, he checks in at about 200 pounds, but still – K-State really hasn't gone up against wideouts that big since, you know, I, I go back to thinking about the Stanford game, about them throwing a lot of those fades, and I'm totally, uh, the name of that wide receiver who, who caught those deep passes against us is totally escaping me right now. But in any event, K-State's DBs really haven't been tested with that type of big body receiver. So a lot of unique challenges forthcoming for this Kansas State defense and Klanderman's bunch. What do you think he keys in on this week, and what do you think K-State tries to limit most out of this TCU offense? Keeping the quarterback from hurting you in the running game. Uh, you know, I will never get that uh, image of uh, Duggan running all over the K-State defense and that one particular play. Uh, I that's why I didn't have to, Clint. <laughs> you certainly hope that Wayne Jones comes in with a little bit of extra motivation this week. God, I can... Uh, I just very vividly remember Duggan giving him the, the Jesse Ertz shrug off in that game in 2019. And while that was a game that Kansas State won, that was a pretty embarrassing effort on, on a tackle in the open field. But... All is well that ends well, I suppose. K-State did manage to win that contest 24-17, to and the Wildcats are looking to make it three in a row over TCU in the series. Uh, no team has won more than two games in a row, so a little uh, trend that's on the line here this coming Saturday. The all-time series evened up at seven apiece. K-State does have a slight edge since TCU joined the Big 12. Cats have five wins to just TCU's four. And I think that does underscore, while TCU does pretty routinely out recruit Kansas state. These are programs that are on fairly level footing in that very congested big 12 middle class. And it also underscores the importance of winning games like these to, to give yourself any, at least in Kansas state's position to give yourself any kind of an edge that you can potentially get on the recruiting front. And I think climate and company know that this is an opportunity to build off of that victory they got this past Saturday to continue with that momentum moving forward. And I certainly hope that this group is keyed in this week. I know there was some chatter when, when Matt Wells got the ax at Texas tech about that potentially being a, a blow to the morale and the confidence of the team. And, and truth be told, I, I don't really read it that way. If I'm at least if I'm in that locker room, I'm saying, okay, we we got that win we needed to get and we we just need to get things turned around here and just need to continue building off of what we've been doing and, and to that point i think this group has demonstrated it still cares and that it still wants to go out and to compete and that's one of those big advantages that i see and i hate citing little intangible things like this in a game 
that's going to be this closely contested. But TCU coming in at three and four. I talked about the message Gary Patterson's delivering, potentially getting stale after 21 years as head coach in Fort Worth. Uh, and there's been some some things pointed out online. You know, Zach Evans, that aforementioned running back that we hit on a few moments ago, he has removed all mentions of TCU in his social media profile. So you don't know where his head might be if he's potentially thinking about transfer portal. I, I hate to be that guy that brings up that talking point, but it doesn't happen for no reason. You know, that's, that's kind of my thought there. Uh, another thing, uh, returner for TCU and a wide receiver, JD Spielman, who's had a, a pretty solid career at TCU's racked up over 2000 yards receiving. He has elected to retire from the sport of football. So, He's off the, rather he's off the roster for this coming game. So again, I I think you you might be thinking about that element of it if you're a Kansas State fan of man, are, is TCU truly bought in? And I feel like you know playing at home and and then going up against a team that that might be on the verge of of checking out. That's obviously going to be something that bodes well for you. At the end of the day, these are two teams that are very evenly matched on paper, and the odds makers in the desert think as much as well. Yes, this game opened up with K-State favored by just a point, but it shot up to three, three and a half, depending on what book you were looking at. It's since, at least where I look, rather, <laughs> it's leveled off at three, and that's what you get for home field. So again, the odds makers think that this is going to be a very competitive ball game, and, and to that end, as a fan, you obviously look for any kind of advantage, be it tangible or intangible, that might bode well for your guys. And as far as that goes with TCU and, and the, the team's mentality and and the, the level in, of investment that might be there or might not be there, I'd be surprised to see a Gary Patterson coach team not be totally locked in and, and potentially check out but in the same breath, if K-State's the one to throw that early haymaker and get up seven to nothing or and maybe have a big play in special teams and all of a sudden TCU's down by two scores early on in the first quarter, how does this TCU team respond? This TCU team that's three and four, having lost four out of its last five games, this is a team that had aspirations of being the dark horse contender. You know, Oklahoma was pretty much the consensus number one, Iowa State the number two, but a lot of people were talking about TCU. Oh man, look at this. Gary Patterson defense last season was pretty salty and they got Duggan and Evans and all these players coming back. They had 10 starters coming back on offense and now all of a sudden any hopes they had of, of contending for a Big 12 title are all but out the window. The likelihood of them being bowl eligible at the end of the regular season is slim. Even if they get this game this weekend, getting to six wins is still a very uphill climb for TCU. So, as I said, I, that's something I'm going to be monitoring pretty closely this Saturday. I think K-State, again, is the more invested team. I keep using that word over and over, but that that is something that you have to start tracking once you get to week eight, nine in the season when it's becoming pretty apparent who's who's a contender for a conference championship, who's looking for bowl position, who is one of those teams that might not be going to the postseason. It's something you have to start thinking about at this stage of the year. So lots of intriguing items to keep an eye on this coming Saturday. I think it's a good time, though, to to pivot in into our predictions for this week. We do our three selections 
our Marvin Show Me More Simmons pick for the week for the player, unit, or coach that we want to show us more. The Ben Stonepounder Newman selection to the player, coach, or unit that we expect to leave an indelible mark on this game's outcome. And then obviously our score prediction. So we're going to start off with our Marvin Simmons pick for the week. Clint, go ahead and kick us off. Who you got? Okay, I kind of have a weird selection for this one because this is not a guy who I think is underperformed by any means, but I'm going with Echo Boido. He's a guy I've been hyping up all season long. I think he's had a great uh, season so far. Uh, he just doesn't get thrown to. And so when I try to tell people how great I think they, they that he actually is, people are like, yeah, yeah, he's really good. And I'm always wanting like, oh, come on. No, he's elite. But, you know, I just I just need an interception or two to kind of get my point across. I, I want to start uh, seeing those stats getting racked up for my guy here. So I'm hoping that he can, uh, you know, get a couple of uh, passes deflected or interception, which will only really happen if he gets thrown to. So, you know, really for the best cornerback in the world, maybe you're not thrown to him at all. But, uh, you know, I want some stats. Hey, man, um, if, if he's not, I was going to say, if they're not throwing his way, as as we say, no news is good news there. Sorry, Netter, go ahead. Who's your pick? No, it's okay. Um, I'm going to go with the guy in the secondary as well. One who, up until last weekend, had probably exceeded a lot of people's expectations for the year, but just had an absolute nightmare of a game in Ross Elder. Um, you are not going to survive another Big 12 game making the mistakes he made against Texas Tech. There was the busted play where he was basically on an island back there and completely lost the tight end um, play that they probably should have scored on um, there. He had an interception go right through his hands at the goal line. He had a missed tackle on a play that we're probably looking at five yards and it ends up going for 20. I mean, these are just, you know, little things that lead to, you know, huge, huge plays for the, Huge, huge plays or second chances for the opposition. So um, if you're going to be on the field. These aren't these aren't mistakes you can make, especially against an offense as prolific as the one we're going to see this weekend. All right. So I picked the group of the tight ends, and it some somewhat has to do with just them not getting a lot of targets. I think uh, Daniel Amaterbebe he pretty much catches whatever they throw to him. And he blocks pretty well. But um, other than that, you know, Nick Lenners had the fumble. Uh, Sammy Wheeler is decent at catching the ball, but he struggles uh, blocking. So um, just kind of overall tight ends play a little better or maybe just uh, have Skyler throw him the ball a little bit more to, to certain tight ends and not other tight ends, I suppose. But... Yeah, I know we uh, we didn't talk about that Nick Lenners play and, and probably for my own health and well-being here because uh, we don't want to sweat it. Deep breath, deep breath. Five, four, three. OK, uh, yeah. So let's move on from the Nick Lenners fumble. So, no, I think tight ends. That's a great pick. Uh, I'm going to go with the guys on the offensive line. I, I don't want to single guys on particular. I know. There have been some dudes who have had some rough games. Christian Duffy had, had a bad outing against Texas Tech, and, and Ben Adler struggled from time to time. And we, we've seen some some younger guys like Hadley Panzer get in, get some snaps. But I certainly can't really condemn the effort that I've seen out of Revis or, or, or um, 
totally drawing a blank here. Cooper Beebe, my God. I mean, I should absolutely know that kid's name by now. But um, the offensive line, I'd like to see, again, what I alluded to a little bit earlier, this team getting back to, to what Messingham and company wants the offensive identity to be to that point. K-State has yet to really dent any Big 12 team. They haven't gone over 200 yards rushing since the non-con. And, and frankly, they haven't really run the ball effectively on anybody. And I know everybody's probably going to be shocked to hear, but the Iowa State effort of 136 yards and only about four per carry, that's the best that K-State's put together on any Big 12 foe. So if you're, if you're going to get yourself right and you're going to get back to, to what you believe you do best and do most efficiently, this is the opportune time to do it. So I'm going to look to the offensive line just as a collective unit. I know I pointed to a couple of guys who I've, I know have had some bad outings here as of late, but uh, everybody can atone uh, this coming Saturday if K-State puts up a 200-yard game on the ground and if um, my guy Joe Irvin can outrush Deuce Vaughn. I've been calling for that for a couple of weeks. Uh, it's not to say that I don't want Deuce Vaughn to b- break out the way that he always does, uh, but I think Deuce can do some things for us in the passing game, and I think Again, Irvin, as we kind of talked about on a number of our shows, Irvin is much more suited to do what Messingham and company want him to do and just being that one cut and go type of back. So, again, I'm looking to the offensive line to open up some holes for our for our dudes this coming Saturday. So let's shift gears now and uh, move over to the Ben Stonepounder Newman selection for the TCU game. And Nutter, why don't you go ahead and kick things off for us there? Yeah, um, I think this is a game that could really hinge on the performance of the linebacker unit. Uh, Clint kind of alluded to it earlier. Uh, that last time we played TCU in Manhattan, Duggan kind of tore us up with his legs. Um, all that to mention, you know, Jeff, like you said earlier, they have one of the best running backs in the Big 12, if not the country. So, um, you know, last last year, Elijah Sullivan really kind of made Duggan's life hell in Fort Worth. And, you know, it might take another effort like that from Daniel Green this year. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, uh, Green, Fletcher, and whoever we're bringing in behind them, I think those, they, they've got their work cut out for them, and I think their performance could really really be a deciding factor in this one. Alex? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Reggie Stubblefield in the secondary slash linebacker, whatever they're putting him at you know I think uh he did pretty well in that role as that kind of third linebacker safety hybrid or whatever it is um he's just kind of all over the place and you know isn't afraid to go make plays and hit some people and you know hopefully he can have a a good impact on this game without getting any personal fouls or anything fingers crossed fingers crossed Clint what do you got uh, I'm going with someone who I think will be a huge key to trying to stop this running attack. I'm going with Timmy Horn. Uh, if he can clog up that middle, make life a lot easier for every other player on this defense. Uh, big boy needs to eat. Good call. Good call. I, too, am going to look to the defensive side and particularly in the secondary. Uh, my guy, J-Mac, this week is the guy I'm going to have my eyes on just because I know this TCU offense can stress you in so many different ways. We talked about what Evans can do, dicing you between the tackles and, and burning you if he gets out on the perimeter. Duggan, always a threat to take off and run. And I don't still have a great deal of trust 
with K-State's linebackers and their ability to, to fit run lanes and, and not allow running backs to, to get outside and break contain. That being said, I look to the safeties this week and our super senior J-Mac needing to come through and have a big game. And you never know how TC might line things up offensively. Uh, again, Doug Meacham's a great offensive mind. And they, they might do some things personnel-wise that might have J-Mac in a position where he's having to contest a, a 50-50 ball with Quentin Johnston or whatever the case might be. So I'm looking at J-Mac to come through and be our stone pounder this week. So with all that said, let's go ahead and wrap things up prediction-wise. Who's going to come out on top this Saturday between the Cats and Horned Frogs? Clint, who you got? I have it down as 35-24 for the good purple team. Go Cats. Nutter? Uh, I'm not far off from Clint. I think this will probably be the high-scoring affair I thought that the Tech game would be. I am going 34-31. Good guys. I will pick the Wildcats to win a game 38-31. to well, shit, can't be the guy to buck the trend here. Um, no, I do feel K-State is going to pick up its second straight win this coming Saturday, and I, I don't think it can be overstated how important it was to just get the first one, to just get off the schneid, and to do it also in a, in a game where you really try everything in your power to beat yourself. You have two horribly timed turnovers. You have almost 100 yards in penalties. You know, Ross Elders out there blowing assignments in the secondary, Landry Weber's dropping passes. I mean, there was a whole litany of things that went awry for Kansas State, but still, still, they managed to find a way to rally from a two-score deficit and to get a road win in the Big 12. That, again, it's worth its weight in gold. And I think this team just needed that little bit of confidence and needed that that affirmation that, hey, that our, our efforts here, what we're doing in practice, we feel like we've been close. We've been competitive in these games, but we've been going up against teams that, that might, frankly, be a cut above us, but we're building towards something bigger. And I think this team just needed that, that tangible affirmation that their efforts are worth something and that always manifests in the win-loss column. And to get the win, I think, as I said, is, was very significant. I think this is a great matchup for Kansas State, uh, not just in terms of the intangible advantage. You know, this TCU team is coming in like a wounded animal. You're coming home. It's homecoming this coming Saturday. It's going to be another great weather day for, for Cat fans to get out there and cheer on the guys. You've got a lot of things working in your favor on that front. But also, again, just on, on paper and on the field, this is a game where I think Kansas State has a number of schematic advantages, how they plan to attack, particularly on the offensive side. I feel like this is a game where Messingham should, should shine as a play caller and K-State should be able, uh, should be on track rather for a 200-200 type of game. I feel like Skyler, again, is only growing in terms of the, the level of confidence that he's, that he's putting out there on display. And I feel like K-State can get things righted in the running game this coming Saturday. But as far as the score for this contest, uh, you, you go back and look, there's not really any identifiable trend in this game. They have been lower scoring affairs here as of late. You go and look at last year, just 21 to 14. Uh, the year before that, 24-17. You go back, you know, the year prior in 2018, that was that ugly 14 to 13 game. The year before that, 26 to 6. So you're, you're seeing point totals in the 
you know, the high 20s, low 30s. I, I, I don't really foresee this one being that low scoring this coming Saturday. Uh, again, frankly, that's that's kind of an indictment on our defense. I do think the defense is improving, but I do think TCU is going to test that group. I feel like this will be a competitive one uh, for all four quarters, though. Uh, and this is a game where K-State's going to have to make some plays if they if they want to find a way to hold on and get a victory. I don't think this TCU squad is totally down and out the way a lot of people are are selling them to be. That's why my score for this one, I'm going to say Kansas State 27, TCU 23. I, again, I think this is going to be a tightly contested ball game throughout. I would love to be wrong on that front. I would love to think that K-State hammers them in the mouth and they just make TCU quit and the Wildcats coast into the Sunflower Showdown with a big 3-4 touchdown victory, but I don't foresee that happening. But I do think Kansas State will will find a way to get the win, make it two in a row on the season, three in a row over the Horned Frogs. So that is my prediction there, and it's all good purple team this Saturday here for the podcast. So four of us picking the Cats to win. And with that being said, we'll touch here briefly on the Big 12 slate for the upcoming weekend a couple of good games on tap here and namely the texas and baylor game drawing a lot more attention than i think a lot of people thought that game was going to get going into the season Uh, but baylor uh, would be playing host looking to go to seven and one on the season that game's going to kick at 11 o'clock and will be broadcast on abc the bears laying two and a half in that ball game should be a nice day though for mclean stadium going on down the list here west virginia after that big win in fort worth will come home to play host to the iowa state cyclones as i said the clones on a little bit of a tear here they've won their last three in big 12 play looking to make it four in a row and I certainly think Iowa State will get it done this coming Saturday. They're seven-point favorites at the moment. The next game on the docket, Texas Tech having, again, just fired Matt Wells. Certainly not the game you want to try and find yourself as a team. They are on the road taking on the fourth-ranked Oklahoma Sooners at 8-0. and This game opened up in the mid-teens and shot up now close to 20. Oklahoma laying 19.5 in this one. That's a 2.30 kick on ABC. And then rounding out the Big 12 schedule for this week, the Kansas Jayhawks, after laying it all on the field against Oklahoma, again, can't short-sell KU for that effort. Uh, But now they have to go and try and find themselves against the 15th-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys at 6-1. Oklahoma State looking to lick their wounds after that tough loss at Jack Trice Stadium against Iowa State this past Saturday. So that is your Big 12 slate for the week. A couple of compelling matchups there. Certainly going to have our eye on that West Virginia game as the ears coming up close on the schedule. The Sunflower Showdown, obviously, the week after next. So a lot of big games coming up for this Kansas State team looking to build momentum coming down the home stretch. So with all that said, let's go ahead and Shift gears for our final segment here before we wrap things up. Clint, K-State Fantasy League. Why don't you go ahead and let the folks know what's been happening here over the past two weeks. Week seven, we had myself versus Alex and Jeff versus Justin. With just the four of us, there's been a lot of patterns emerging. Generally, it's, uh, you know, Jeff and I battling it out and Alex and Justin battling it out. And any crossover is a blowout. Sorry, guys. 
But that was not the case this week as Alex gets his first victory versus uh, myself. And it wasn't particularly close. I think Alex might be on the uh, upswing with his team here. He's got uh, King Felix. He's got Skyler. Uh, you know, uh, Landry Weber's been a, a real boost for his team. He blew me out 57 to 32. My team did not show up. Congratulations, Alex. My first win against someone not named Justin. <laughs> yeah, Justin's uh, had a little bit of a curse on his team. Anytime I think I'm kind of the kid it. eating paste in the corner at this point. <laughs> Generally, anytime Justin wins, then uh, K-State <laughs> loses. So we're all rooting against Justin here. And uh, that held true this week where Jeff blew out Justin. And uh, might be the biggest blowout so far this season. 58-20, to 19.9. Uh, it's a shame when you got Echo Boydo on your team having a great game, but comes out with zero stats, gets you zero points. Eli Huggins with zero points. Joe Irvin with 0.9 points. Just not your week, guy. Well, for what it's worth, Jeff could have benched literally everybody but Deuce Vaughn and still damn near doubled me up. So. <laughs> yeah, so far, Deuce Vaughn has the commanding overall lead in season scoring. With, uh, let me check that here, a total of 162 points with Felix Anudike Uzama coming in second with 119 points. So that's uh, number two overall pick of Deuce Vaughn. Looks pretty solid, Jeff. Just got to thank Alex for taking Skyler first, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Which, you know, Skyler's coming on. You know, he had his few weeks that he's out with his injury, but uh, he's starting to catch up to everybody else in total points. Uh, Alex did take over third place overall from Justin, and Jeff took over first place overall for me. Uh, you know, first and second are very close right now, and third and fourth are very close. So we have our little mini pods going, but, you know, we're over halfway through with the season, so it might be... A little too late for you guys to catch up to try to get yourselves in that championship game unless one of us really falls off a cliff here. <laughs> for the sake of the team, I hope you do not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clint, appreciate the breakdown as always. Deuce Vaughn, appreciate you wrecking Big 12 defenses as you always do. So with all that said, thank you guys. If you've stuck with us this long, we appreciate you listening. Uh, one final call to arms here. Go ahead and subscribe to us again on whatever your preferred app is. Give us a rating and a review. And if you haven't already, followed, uh, follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. And one final plug as well. If you want a little peek behind enemy lines, I did have a chance to catch up with Jeff Mitchell, who covers TCU for 24-7 sports. And uh, some great insight just kind of on the general state of the state, so to speak, of the TCU program and where things are trending with Gary Patterson and company and, and also everything personnel driven with the Horn Frog. So again, some great insight on TCU. So if you want to check that out, that episode is also in your feed as well. So guys, good show again, as always appreciate the time, appreciate you, the loyal listeners for sticking with us and we'll wrap it up the way that we always do cats, man. If you know, you know, the cats do, the cats do.